Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Well, thank you, sir. Well, welcome to OKC First. If you are visiting today, this is completely normal, completely normal. We're starting a new series today, working through the book of Matthew, and you will have a companion piece, uh, actually a couple of different companion pieces as we go through. They'll be available every time you get a worship folder, you'll have one of these sheets available as well. And if you don't have one of those, uh, Chuck is probably out there. Chuck, if you, could, if you don't have one of those, find some of these at that little back table right across, from, uh, right beyond those double doors, and just slip your hand up, and Chuck can get you one of these. While that is happening, let's do a little bit of uh, housekeeping here. I want to, to make sure that you recognize, just raise your hand if you need one of these sheets. We've got a couple of guys back there ready to hand them out. See Chuck up this way, we got a few. All right, good deal. Oh, Chuck might need some help. Somebody want to grab some more of those? <laughs> good deal. That way, we'll just get into this rhythm, and they'll be uh, there with your worship folder each week. The other thing that you're going to have each week is a supplemental a supplementary podcast. Now, if you're, a pod, if you're not a podcaster, this, this won't matter to you at all. Um, if you are a, uh, a supplemental podcast that will allow us to kind of work back through any questions that you might have or comments that you might have about the sermon series, we're going to uh, invite you to comment or ask your questions in the friendship folder, or you can always send that stuff to info at okcfirst.com. And we will try to, with that little 15-minute shorter podcast, work through some of that. It might even be a Facebook Live thing. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Facebook, but uh, we are probably going to do something like that to do a a follow-up each week so that we can connect the dots. The book of Matthew, let's do some of this. Uh, The book of Matthew, here's some introductory stuff about the, the gospel according to Matthew that I think will be helpful to us as we learn how to listen to it. First of all, it really functioned in the life of the early church more like a letter. A letter, much like Paul's letters, which were meant to be read aloud and all in one sitting. So I know it's 28 chapters and a lot of verses, but the book of Matthew was actually written to a group of people trying to do faith. And it was intended that it would be read aloud and in one entire sitting. And here's why that's so important. You are to understand the book of Matthew as a long, complete thought so that your interpretation of any of the individual verses happens against the backdrop of the larger story that the book of Matthew is telling. Does that make sense? In other words, here's what you're not supposed to do with the book of Matthew. You're not supposed to take a verse, one verse, Let's take 548, which goes something like this. Be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's horrifying, right? You're not supposed to take that one verse and lift it out of its context. You always have to keep the context in mind. And the largest context that we have with the Gospel of Matthew is this. God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself. We have, yes, the crucifixion, but we have in the book of Matthew the resurrection. And you never can read any of these passages in the book of Matthew without having the resurrection somewhere right here. Does that make sense? Now, when was it written down? 
It will probably not surprise you to hear this. The book of Matthew was actually written and meant to be reread and reread and reread, and it was all put together with an eye toward helping the audience or the listeners or at some point the readers to remember. And not just to remember the Beatitudes. It's good to remember the Beatitudes. But again, to remember the larger story and the largest point that's being made. So it was written so as to spur your memory, my memory, our gathered up memory. Does that that make some sense as well? Really important stuff here. I, I want you to know that the book of Matthew is the early church's favorite book. When they would work through with new believers, when they would work through some sort of a Oh, uh, let's say a catechism to help new believers grow toward Christ's likeness, and they would use the Gospels, they always started with Matthew. They always started with Matthew because it does such a great job of connecting the dots. What we see God doing in the Old Testament, we see Christ accomplishing. We see a victorious Christ accomplishing in the New Testament. And here's something else. It wasn't written down as the events occurred. When it all gets written down is especially important to us, too. It helps us to hear it. So it didn't all happen. It didn't all get written down as it happened. It got written down decades after the fact. In fact, in the year 70, thereabout-ish, 70 A.D., Rome had had enough. And Rome comes, and they absolutely destroy the temple. This incredible skyscraper of faith, skyscraper of faith that the people of God had oriented their lives around. And Rome comes in and they absolutely destroy, demolish the temple, and they murder all of the priests. And it's 20 years, 10 to 20 years after that, that the book of Matthew is written down. Mm, You're going to have to advance it for me, Shane. It's not working, doesn't look like from here. Yeah, we've already done that. Okay, we've already done that. We've done these things. We're already to this. Okay. Um, It's a well-oiled machine around here today, everybody. It's a well-oiled machine. 10 to 20 years after the destruction of the temple. In other words, this book written like a letter to a group of people was written to help them to hang on. I mean, everything had changed. All around them, they were confronted by one dramatic and violent, earth-shattering ending after another. One ending after another. One ending after another. And by the time the Gospel of Matthew is written, there are people looking around and they're saying, why are we still doing this? How are we doing this? How should we be doing all of this? And so the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, the good news of Matthew is written to a group of people desperate for good news who are in grave danger of forgetting what it means to be the people of God. People in grave danger of forgetting who they are as the people of God. People who are in grave danger of forgetting everything. The story. The story that makes us us. And it's to these people the Gospel of Matthew is written. Let's talk about endings. See what I mean? Just totally well-oiled. 
Here are some things that I, I hope that you would get down on that Gospel of Matthew. The first question there, you'll see here, 10 to 20 years after the destruction of the temple, meant to be read aloud to facilitate memory, meant to be understood as one large story, and this is super important, meant to answer this question, what now? What do I do now? What do we do now when we are confronted as we are by all of these endings? The temple ended. The priesthood ended. What do we do now? What do we do now? Happy Father's Day. We typically say at some point during every service like this, a Father's Day or a Mother's Day, we typically say this, Happy Father's Day. But we also say, let's be cognizant of those folks around us for whom this is an awful day. <laughs> and it might be awful for several reasons, perhaps, there are some of you in the room who had terrible experiences, and maybe you continue to have terrible experiences with your dad. Those people exist, and those people suffer on Father's Day. Truth of the matter is, look around you. Some folks don't come on Father's Day because it's Father's Day. I've already heard from them. Or maybe Father's Day is difficult because of an ending. Does that make sense? I mean, maybe you lost your dad. Maybe you lost your granddad. Maybe you lost an uncle. Maybe you lost a father figure somehow. And in a moment of dramatic and perhaps even violent loss like that, maybe that's the point at which we can have some empathy for the original audience of this written down Gospel of Matthew. They were suffering the endings of life, and maybe you, maybe you are suffering an ending today, and maybe the fact that it is Father's Day today only underscores that hurt. Maybe you, like them, are asking the question, having suffered, and now acutely on Father's Day, maybe you are asking the question, what now? What now? Okay, some things, we're gonna jump in in chapter nine. You heard Tamara read it, but you'll know if you know anything about the Gospel of Matthew, you know we've missed some really good stuff already, right? I mean, we will have just missed some really incredible miracles that have to do with sight. We will have missed the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you miss the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, you miss stuff like the Beatitudes, the blessed are those, right? You miss the Lord's Prayer as we pray it every, we, brought, we borrow ours from the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer. It, you miss the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. You miss statements like ask, seek, and knock. You miss some really good stuff. Br prior to that, we've missed all of the stuff about the birth of Christ, those really cool stories that are worth telling and retelling. We're jumping in in the middle, and so we miss all of that stuff. But we can kind of capture the breadth the width of the story, if we'll make note of right now, today, the first sermon in this series, two passages of scripture, the genealogy and the Great Commission. So the genealogy is a very odd passage of scripture, and if you're unfamiliar with it, it's, the, it's right at the beginning. By the way, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with your Bibles, the book of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Check the table of contents. You wanna go to the book of Matthew. This is on page one 
of the Gospel of Matthew. It is something like this. This Jesus character is a descendant of Abraham and David. Here's another way to say that. God is doing something through a particular group of people. And you have all of these, the father of, is the father of, is the father of. But then every once in a while, you have a very strange story that is included. Now, it might not look strange to you, but it is strange that Tamar is included in this story. Well, that's an ugly story, and we can talk about it another time. Just trust me right now, that's an ugly story that you perhaps don't want to broadcast if it's your family tree that's on display. There's another one. There's David, and there's Bathsheba. David, King David, yep, that David. Another way to understand David, murderer and adulterer. And yet, this seems to be the leadership of the gospel here. It seems to be the case that God has this amazing way to, to, to commit to a group of people and to say to them, I'm going to do all of this with and through you even though I know it's a huge calculated risk because you all, free will that you've got, you may go off and do something dumb, and David does. And yet God still can weave back in to the story our failures and broken places. Well, you know, that was a great place for all of us who are aware that we have failures and broken places God has this way of weaving back into the larger narrative of what it is that God is doing. God has a way of weaving even those stories into what it is that God is doing. And all God's honest people said, Amen. Then at the very end of the gospel, the very end of the gospel of Matthew, you have the crucified and dead for a long time Jesus, who now has been brought back, raised to life, and just before he ascended to that throne, we said this on Ascension Sunday a couple of weeks ago, the ascension is the point at which we understand Christ to be king and not king-elect, but king. King-elect is king sometime in the future, but king. Right before all of that, Jesus says these incredible words. He says this, okay, now I'm going to partner with you as you go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and says this, and I will be with you at every step along the way. That piece of scripture is so important to us, it gets its own nickname, and that nickname is, as you know this, the Great Commission. In other words, great news from somebody called the ministry, I have great news for you, you are too. <laughs> You are too, we are called into ministry to be the means whereby, now hear this, hear this, to be a part of the means whereby God reaches all of it. All of it. All of them. All people. We are a part of the means whereby, this is not new, God will reach all the people. Why did God choose one particular group of people? Why does God still seem to choose one particular group of people? Is it because he wants that group of people and not all the other people? No. Hear this. No. And perhaps no one says this more loudly than Matthew. No, no, no. God chooses a group of people to call his own so that through that group of people, God can reach all the people. Does that make sense? And so there's a real sense in which we are God's workforce. 
We sang a little song when I was in the kids' department that I will tell you that I didn't like then and I don't like now, but it may be right. I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. There's something to it. There's something to it. God has chosen us to be God's movement, but the movement must extend beyond us, and it will. It does extend beyond us, but God is working with us as God's mobilization force, and that's what we're talking about today. That's what we're talking about today. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about VBS. Um, VBS went well. We had a bunch. I think our high water mark was somewhere around 180-ish or so. That's a lot of kids. And so many kids that VBS workers were visibly tired. Uh, it, was, it was a tough week, but a good week. It's a tough week, but a good week. If you are visiting with us today, I'm about to re-narrate part of our own story because I think it makes perfect sense in light of today's verses and as a reflection on this past week and as a forecast of who we believe that we are called to be. Years ago, and some of you will be very familiar with this, years ago, we studied whether or not to stay at 4400 Northwest Expressway. We studied it. Because we looked around and we said, man, is it just me or are all the churches moving to the north? Is everybody moving that way? Do they know something we don't? Should we be moving to the north? And so we studied it. We actually contacted city managers. We, we, we had a, a committee that was, that was tasked to study the whole thing, and they studied it for weeks and months, actually, months and months. And I'll never forget the day I was in the board meeting when the commission came back, and having contacted the, the city manager, who said this, this will continue to be a thriving business corridor, but the bedroom community will continue to suffer you know that there are somewhere between 90 to 100,000 cars that pass us every day, every work day? That's a lot of cars. And having heard that, the board that day said, we need to stay here. We need to not leave. Our church history includes a moment of great pain <laughs> when the church decided to, to not stay down at Sixth and Francis. It actually caused a split. And some of the folks in the room remembered that whole story, and I think they were some of the people in the room that day who said, we should stay. We should stay. We should be the people who stay. Now, when we made that decision, we made it with the full knowledge of what it meant. We made it knowing that we were going to have to retool. We didn't have a coal center at that time. We started in earnest that day, though it would take another 10 years to get it working. We started in earnest that day saying, how can we retool our facility to meet the needs in our neighborhood? We started to study our neighborhood. And every time we study our neighborhood, every time we study it and, and we, we ask the question, what is it that our neighborhood needs, the same issues come up every single time. And here they are. We have a food security issue in our neighborhood. We have a literacy issue in our neighborhood. 
We really need some after-school work in our neighborhood, some after-school opportunities. Now do you know why we do what we do? We have a partnership with the Regional Food Bank. We have an after-school program that as one of its core pillars, we understand that we have to help our kids to learn to read better. And we have these after-school programs and now a summertime program in the hopes of being who God has called us to be in our neighborhood. So we've actually thought that through, we thought about it, we built a building to help facilitate it. Here, here's the thing, I think we have all the way, all the way along underestimated how hard it would be. It's hard. It's hard, that doesn't mean it's not right. In fact, I think it is right. But it's hard. People get tired. If you don't believe it, come to VBS and watch. I don't know that we've ever done better than this past week at VBS of, of being um, faithful to the call. I think we're faithful all the time. I, th I think our after-school program and the things that we're doing, the things that Lisa has gotten us involved in in the neighborhood, I think, it, I think we've been faithful. It was tough. It was tough. It was tough because um, we're trying to live out what it looks like when wolves and lambs are together. And by the way, everybody thinks they're the lamb. It's tough because though we've been saying it all the way along, here is some of the feedback. Now, nobody in the room, you all are far too Christian to have said this, right? But here's some of the feedback that at times we get. Well, doesn't feel like the church is for us anymore. Whoa. Someone, someone said to me not too long ago, well, I guess we're not your target audience anymore. Here's something that we have been saying all along. Discipleship is an elusive concept. What does it mean? Is, it, is, is someone discipled when they know more answers to the questions than they knew a month ago? Is that the process of discipleship where we just, we just feed people information so they can parrot it back to us? Is that discipleship? Is discipleship happening when I train your mind, or is discipleship happening when I'm getting your whole body involved? Correct answer is it's when I'm getting your whole body involved. Discipleship never has been reducible to a notebook, even if it has three rings. Now that stuff is great, so long as it gets all the way to the ground. But if it stays here and doesn't get to the end of your fingers, it's not discipleship. Staying here made sense, not just because of the people who are around us as a church who can walk to our church. Staying here made sense because it allowed us to do the best possible discipleship for folks who want to follow Jesus. It's hard. but it's discipleship. 
I looked up and I saw these fantastic people. And by the way, uh, we had doctors and attorneys and college professors and, and stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads. We had, we had coaches. We had all kinds. We had artists. We had all kinds of people serving, serving this week. All kinds of people serving this week. And at one point or another throughout the week, everybody was tired, tired, tired. When Jesus looks up, he sees a group of people who are tired. They are beaten down. Brennan Manning might call them bedraggled. (laughs) They are folks that are in rough shape. And in fact, I don't know that we have these words interpreted very well. I'm going to try to interpret them. It's a little bit more graphic, actually. I'm going to try to give us some of that. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. Now, this is amongst all of the people who are supposed to be a part of the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Right now, we're just focusing on these people to help them as best we can to recover some sense of self, some sense of mission, some sense of purpose. But Christ looks out and sees that for all kinds of reasons, they are absolutely bedraggled, beaten down. So Jesus goes along. (laughs) a little bit, a little bit like William Wallace and Braveheart. Okay, now, uh, stay with me here. Now, Aaron hates this. Now, stay with me here. Uh, A little bit, a little bit. A funny story. Uh, Kelly and I got to go to Scotland, and we got to go see where William Wallace lived, and out in front where we start the tour, there is a, there is a uh, life-sized statue of, um, what's the actor's name? Mel Gibson, who played William Wallace. And the Scottish tour guide hated that statue. <laughs> and said, this is not William Wallace, this is Mel Gibson acting like William Wallace. We believe that William Wallace was much larger. And we just sort of kept walking. <laughs> But what we all like about that movie is that moment when William Wallace comes to a defeated army, and he rides back and forth in front of them saying, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And there is a sense in which Jesus is doing this now. Jesus moving in and through his army, very tired VBS workers (laughs) saying, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, encouraging Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, curing every disease and every sickness. Although the word is not really sickness, it's softness. Sometimes the culture beats you up, beats you up, beats you up, beats you up, and maybe at some point you lose your Christian edge. Jesus trying to restore. Their sturdiness as members of the army. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion, but even that doesn't quite get it. He felt it in his gut. It was a gut-wrenching experience just to see how worn out and tired and defeated they were by the empire, by all of the endings they had suffered, by all of the endings they had suffered because they were harassed and helpless. And again, that's not quite right either. It was like they were laid bare just on the ground and just sort of waiting for the animals to come and disembowel them. That's what that is. That's ugly. Now can you see why it was gut-wrenching? 
And then this line is thrown in, which perhaps doesn't mean so much to us, but it did to them like sheep without a shepherd. Jewish ears perk up because they know that this is a line from an early story. All the way back in the Old Testament, you can find it in 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles. I think that's right. Ahab, King Ahab is about to go out into battle. But before he does, he says to all of his prophets, hey, How's this gonna go? Am I gonna be okay go out there in battle? And all of the prophets said, oh, king, you look great in your armor, you look great, and absolutely, king, you're gonna be great, high five, king, except for one person who said, actually, it's really funny because this person even says at first, says, yeah, you're gonna be fine, king. And the king went, Micaiah, you don't very often tell me the truth the first time, do you? Micaiah says, okay, here's what I hear, here's what I think, here's what I've seen. You die, king. This little skirmish is bigger than you think, and you die. And what's worse, when you die, our army is scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And sure enough, it was accidental. Ahab goes out there in disguise, not supposed to be in harm's way, and he dies gets hit by a stray arrow and dies. And the army is routed, scattered, like sheep without a shepherd. So this is loaded language. This is loaded language. Now the Lord's army is like a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. Gut-wrenched Jesus says this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful. Look at all of this. Look at all of this work to be done here at 4400 Northwest Expressway. But by the way, everywhere else. Look at all this ground that the right kind of army can take back. Look at all of this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask should have been translated beg. There's urgency here. Beg the Lord of the harvest to wake that army up. There's another question there for you. I'm gonna give you a couple of minutes too, actually. I'm, I'm gonna, I mean, if there was, a, I, don't, I don't need a drink of water, but if there was a drink of water, this is the, I don't really don't, really don't. But if there was, no. <laughs> if there was a drink of water here, I would take a couple of seconds, just take a drink. I want to ask you this question, and you can, you can either sort through it at the end of a pencil or a pen on your paper or just think through it. In what ways do you identify with the sheep without a shepherd? As members of the Lord's army, do you feel like at times that we have suffered so many endings? And maybe it's personal endings. Maybe you find yourself just beat up, bedraggled, burnt out, tired, and maybe it doesn't have anything to do with the church. Maybe it's stuff that you dragged in here with you from your personal life. All kinds of different ways to suffer an ending, and all kinds of different ways that you might feel beat up, burnt out. In what ways do you identify with the sheep, and what endings have you, have we suffered? One more thing, and I'll get out of the way. I'm aware that at times it feels like things are changing not just year by year, but week to week in the church. Not just here, but in the church. I mean, VBS has changed, (laughs) y'all. Can you tell? VBS has changed quite a bit. 
Sometimes when people say what they do to me about music, it's okay, they're homesick. They're homesick. Sometimes when people look around and they say, this is not the church I remember, I have great empathy because here's the thing, you're right. You're right. Take a picture of us today as opposed to a picture of us 20 years ago, and I was here 20 years ago. I was eight, but I was here 20 years ago. (laughs) See? Wow. It looks different. It looks different. And there are times when that is suffered as an ending. It's okay. Name it. Take a couple of seconds now and work through on that piece of paper. In what ways do you, do I, do we identify with these sheep without a shepherd? And what endings have you in your personal life or have we, have we suffered that perhaps leave us in what we feel like is a vulnerable position. Go ahead and take a couple of seconds now and work through that. And in the future, we'll have music, Grant. So, turns out there are perhaps more, uh, there's more than one group of folks with whom you might be able to identify. Jesus, again, still gut-wrenched. And seeing all of the, the vulnerability and how badly beaten up the army was, Jesus summoned the twelve. Lots of loaded language there, even in the number 12. There is, in some sense here, and even using this number 12, it's, it's as if God is saying, and now Christ is saying, we are still who we are, and maybe endings aren't final. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and said, you guys go do what I've been doing. I don't know if you noticed how closely this language matches the language earlier, where we see Jesus doing these kinds of things. Remember, going from town to town to town. That was the William Wallace moment of the sermon. Jesus was going town to town saying, you can do this, you can do this. Then Jesus turns to 12 people, and by the way, it's a ragtag 12, a ragtag 12, maybe even more ragtag than us, and says to them, I hereby deputize you to go do what I've been doing. Just take a look at that list there in front of you. These are the 12. Now, I don't have it here, but you can see it there. These are the 12. I'm just going to highlight a few that are in this particular group. Simon Peter, perhaps not the most courageous person in the world, deputized. At the end of that list, Judas Iscariot, and even says there, who will betray Jesus, strangely enough, deputized. 
Matthew. Matthew. Yes, there's a Roman Empire, and sometimes the Roman Empire would hire, employ some of the Jewish folks to collect taxes from the Jewish folks, which made the Jewish folks hate the tax collectors. Matthew. Deputized. And then on the other side of that discussion, we'd have Simon the Zealot, or perhaps it says there the, what does it say, the, the Canaanite there? What does it say? No, no, no. In your, in your Bible, what does it say? What does it say? What is, how does it describe Simon? The Canaanian. Simon, in other translations or in other parts of Scripture, will be called Simon the Zealot, was the guy who hated the empire of Rome and perhaps would have been willing to join a group that would have violently tried, at least, to overthrow Rome. So you have someone who worked for Rome and someone who hated them so much that they might have resorted to violence on the same team, wolves and lambs. Jesus said, yeah, all of you all, perfect. (laughs) And not only am I going to give you marching orders, I'm going to give you marching resources to go and change the world. It does not mean that they wouldn't get tired. Now, Jesus was careful to say this. Hey, we're still in the army refreshing business here, okay? We're still going out there trying to help the church now. I'm updating the language myself now. Perhaps there are a whole bunch of us who are supposed to help the church remember that we're the church. Perhaps there's a whole lot of us who should be involved in this process, the process whereby we recognize and remember and lean into the fact that we're not just Christians, y'all. That's not enough. It's not enough just to be Christians. We are parts of the body of Christ, meant to do what Christ does. Man, how boring is faith if it's just about your good behavior? Congratulations. You've been well-behaved and you could have lived in a bubble. Now, I'm not saying I want you to be bad behaviors. (laughs) I just want you to be all you're supposed to be. I want to be all I'm supposed to be. I want us to be all we're supposed to be as the people of God, now known as the very body of Christ, like hands and fingers and mouth and feet. That's us. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of of heaven has come near. It's right here. Cure the sick. What? Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Cleanse the lepers. There was a time when ancient believers would have said, here's what you gotta do with lepers. You have to get them all the way out of town because you cannot allow there to be any contact. And whatever you do, do not let the lepers touch you because their badness gets on your goodness and it always is going to destroy your goodness. And Jesus said, hang on a second, I'm bigger and stronger than leprosy. And then Jesus goes and he touches a leper in the wound and Jesus' goodness outclasses the badness of the leprosy, here's another way to say it in keeping with what we've been saying today, leprosy was a violent and ugly ending and Jesus said, not for me. And Jesus says to the body of Christ, leprosy no longer has to be an ending. 
And remember, they're trying to refresh the army so that the army can go beyond the army walls and boundaries into all the earth and announce this very important message which goes like this, leprosy ain't the biggest bully on the block anymore, and neither is death, neither are demons. How often do we live beneath our privilege as the people of God? Answer, most of the time. How often do we live beneath our resources as the people of God? Answer, most of the time. Not you. Some people would rather leave than be a part of the solution. It's okay, they're tired and perhaps frightened. Maybe they feel like sheep without a shepherd. But I get to say to you today, We're not without a shepherd. (laughs) We're not without a king. We're not without a calling. We're not without a purpose. And perhaps, we're thinking clearly, this is important, and we're almost done. Perhaps we really do have all we need to make the dent that God dreams for us to to make. Look at this. To these 12, he said... You received without payment, give without payment. Perhaps this means that the 12, as varied and as different as they were, were also chronically human and chronically normal, and perhaps were people who suffered disease, illness, possession, maybe leprosy, maybe death. We know for a fact that Jesus confronts death in Simon Peter's presence. In other words, perhaps the best disciples, perhaps the best disciples who understand themselves to be about the business of refreshing the army, the Lord's army, yes sir. Perhaps the best disciples do their best work when they are fully grateful for and engaged with and connected to all that God has done for her or for him or for us. Because this is what's being said to these 12 disciples. Remember all the great stuff that's happened for you That's your testimony as you go out there to restore hope. In what ways might you identify with the 12 disciples? This, and we have a video, and we're going to land this plane. God is bigger than any ending. And we have this message. I mean, we, we go as far as to try to make you see that this over here might actually look a little bit like the tomb. Remember, we put the, the big stone there where you turn on the light and it just looks like an empty tomb. We, we try to keep that image in front of you that with God, endings aren't final. In fact, in the hands of God. And you think this isn't a welcome message received by a dry and a thirsty group of people who receive this gospel? In fact, with God, endings are beginnings. Try this question. In what ways might you identify with the 12 disciples? And where do I, 
Where do we see God making new beginnings? Again, this might be in your personal life. It might be around here. It's probably both. Take a couple of seconds now and do that. One of the best that we've got in understanding the power and the possibility of new beginnings is a guy by the name of Mike Laughlin. Mike is good at seeing beginnings where other people see endings. For example. Here at OKC First, we are learning to do three things. One of which is open friendship for the sake of the world. Open gym is a time after school for kids to come between middle school and high school, play basketball and have a safe environment to participate in activities after school. Open gym is a great opportunity to build relationships with people. For me, it's building relationships with students. In those relationships, I have the opportunity to influence or be Christ in their lives, to journey with them, to learn their story, and to be a part of their lives. It's fun and it keeps me out of trouble and I like the environment and then we have like, it's like a family type thing. It helps me with football and I come here to get better and like coming up here playing with my friends and stuff, you know, it's we having a good time and things like that and uh, it just helps me get better as a person and I feel like I got better today, you know, and I just feel like Coming up here will just keep me out of trouble off the streets and stuff like that. Getting involved in Open Gym is really easy. If you like basketball, if you like people, Open Gym is a great place for you to get involved. You can come, build relationships with students, run the shot clock, keep score. There's a variety of different ways that you can be involved. To find out more about Open Gym, please check out coldcommunitycenter.org. Pretty cool. And I haven't asked your permission, Mike, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something anyway. Okay. I mean, Mike's been battling a, a disease for a while now, and it's not, it's not something... Uh, it's something that was slowly but surely costing him some energy, let's say, like that. And then Mike took up Open Gym. I don't know if you saw this, but Mike is actually a very effective low-post player for a left-handed uh, guy down there. It's amazing to me to see how God can bring life and vitality. In other words, a beginning to something we fear might be an ending. Last question is, what's the gospel, the good news in this passage? And and I want to give this to you. You can add to it whatever you want. I want, to give some, I want to give something to you that I want to make sure you take with you. With God, all endings can be beginnings. With God, all endings can be beginnings. And this message today is aimed at the people of God, the Lord's army. Have you suffered endings personally, 
Have we corporately? Absolutely. But you know what these endings are in the hands of God? Beginnings. Beginnings. We celebrate this every week around this table. If you're helping us, um, forgive me, I have run long today, so please come and sprint down to the table if you can and help us to, uh, to take care of this. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and may we be fueled and funded by these elements to have just enough imagination to see how it is that something that we consider to be an ending might actually be a beginning when placed back in your hands. So God, yes, bless these elements. Strengthen us to be your people here and everywhere where endings need to be understood as beginnings. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left, and then to come forward if you are new to our fellowship today. I've seen a couple of you already today. If you're new, this is how we take communion every week. If you'll exit your pew to the left, and then come forward with your hands cupped, you'll approach someone who has a plate of bread. That person will take a piece of bread and place it into your waiting hands and say, this is the body of Christ, broken for you. Here, they're not going to say this, but here in those words, an ending that God has made into a beginning. Don't eat that bread just yet, though. Take it and dip it into the cup. Someone standing right beside the person with the bread will be holding a cup. When you dip it into that cup, that person will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. And by the way, shed violently in a way that would make everyone believe that it was an ending, but it was a beginning blood of Christ shed for you and then take and eat and then we would invite you to find a place to pray and it is perfectly appropriate for you to just to circle all the way back around and to pray at your pew or if you come to one of these side padded altars we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and someone really good at praying will meet you there and anoint you with oil because we believe that God can heal God can heal physical, emotional, relational wounds, all kinds of wounds. We'll assume that if you go to those side padded altars. We won't assume a thing if you go to one of these other altars, but we will at some point come and touch you on the back of the head, the neck, the shoulder, just so you know you're not alone. Just so you know you're not alone. It was on the night that he's betrayed that our Savior took this bread blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Seems like an ending. Every time you eat of it, remember me. And later on he would take the cup, cup of hope actually, and hold it up before them and say, and this is the blood of a new covenant now shed for you. Shed. Seems like an ending. Every time you drink it into the future, when you finally understand it to be a beginning, remember me. Remember me. Remember, folks, we do this every week. We eat a lot of this communion bread so much that at some point, I hope that we all become the communion bread, the body of Christ, taken, blessed, broken, and given. All across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left. Come forward with your hands cupped to receive the gifts of God meant for the people of God. If you can't come to us, 
Jason and Aaron are on their way to you. If at some point you would like to come by and dip your fingers into this water to remember your baptism, you will be welcome. me. 
Heavenly Father, we confess that at times our endings are intimidating. We confess, Lord, that there are times when we can identify with those who have a hard time seeing how, how an ending could ever be reorganized into a beginning. We confess that we're chronically human, chronically normal, that endings for us seem like endings. In other words, Lord, we need the table. We need hope. We need to be reminded of our story that you have gifted to us to see how it is that you are making all things new. So help us to see how it is that you're making all things new. Refresh us as people who still desire to be in your army. Refresh us, grow us, and move us. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another. As we have these brief moments of prayers of intercession, there's no doubt that you may have come into this place this morning with something on your heart that you needed God to break through in your life. That can be a situation in the life of someone that you love in your own life, in a neighbor, in our neighborhood, or a situation around the world, perhaps in Zambia. So whatever you carried in this morning, in these moments, as Tamara plays, would you give that to God? Even maybe you need to lay open your hands in a posture of open-handedness. Say, God, would you take this care, this need, this worry, God, would you take it from us as we lift it to you? A person, a relationship, a world situation. God, would you take it? God, we offer up all of our worries, our anxieties, our relationships, and our neighborhood to you now. Now let's pray that prayer that Pastor John mentioned earlier in his sermon, the Lord's Prayer, taken from the book of Matthew. If you're unfamiliar with that prayer, it should be in front of you on a screen. And We pray it here using debts and debtors. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs>